First off, uh, Josh, thank you very much for joining us for some coffee at uh, Brain Coffee today. Thank you for having me. Maybe it's fitting. We were just finishing uh, our bacon kolache, so maybe uh, the topic that is Josh is going to talk about is quite appropriate at hand. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so maybe just a brief introduction. So Josh obviously is a rising star in uh, the field of neurosurgery and stroke. So yeah. I think the, having the opportunity to talk about stroke and kind of you know what's going on with it, uh, it's great to have you here. Yeah, everyone's interested. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So maybe before we even really get started, uh, why don't you tell us, it, because obviously I think we all know, yeah. and, but we talk about it, we talk about it, but yeah. what, how do we define what exactly a stroke is? Yeah, so a stroke is really just any sudden onset acute insult to the brain, I mean, in its simplest definition. Mm -hmm. It can come from a couple different sources. Uh, the most common thing we think of is that a vessel somewhere in the brain just suddenly gets blocked by either a blood clot or a piece of material that breaks off a blood vessel wall coming from another place and uh, that part of the brain is being starved for blood supply and so whatever it does just stops working and the patient will have an issue because part of the brain is not working suddenly. Uh, and then it can also happen because a blood vessel just bursts in the brain oh, and, um, yeah. and you have bleeding in the brain and uh, it just happens suddenly in the same way. So you know, people came up with um, <clears throat> the idea of stroke because they originally thought that it was the gods uh, punishing them for something and huh. uh, it was you know Zeus throwing a bolt of lightning from the sky and huh. striking them down suddenly for breaking his rules and his laws and uh -huh. so it was sort of a you know a stroke of lightning from the from oh, the gods originally is where it came from so could still be true yeah right right <laughs> but I think that that element yeah. it's sudden yeah, right it's, you know, and there are two different kinds yeah right? there's that sudden and there's two different kinds that's right either really in some senses either too little blood yeah. and, not, and not enough you know, oxygen or too much, meaning the blood kind yeah. of essentially is like a little bomb going off in yeah, the part right. of the brain. Okay, so maybe, maybe we can talk about them separately. Yeah. Uh, why don't we talk about the, the block first? So not enough blood and yeah. we all know time is brain, right? Yeah. So once it's so blocked- So maybe explain that, unpack that. Why yeah. is time brain? I mean, that's, so you know, I, what I've heard, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that if, you're, if your blood vessels in your brain are blocked off, you have something on the order of five minutes for that blood to come back to that brain so that brain can live. So a, brain, a part of the brain starved of blood for five minutes will die. Something, or well, we, something, we used to think that, like that, but that's not necessarily true. Ah. Aha, rising star, <laughs> tell <laughs> us. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So we, we found that everybody uh, has a completely different profile of their brain, how they get blood supply, uh -huh. um, how long they can go without uh, oxygen. And so people are, are kind of divided into fast progressors and slow progressors and unfortunately I have no way of telling you you know a random person walking down the street who if their brain is starved of oxygen is going to be a fast progressor and they're going to die in five minutes as you just suggested oh. or they can go for 24 or 36 hours before it dies and that's I think one of the big hot things in stroke right now is we're trying to figure out who are the fast progressors who are the slow progressors because we found that we can actually help these slow progressors for a very long time, and oh, that's uh, interesting. we haven't oh, lost a window in treating them. I see. So, so it's almost like, for instance, people can hold their breath for different yeah, lengths of time. Exactly. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so, kind of, your brain is the same in the sense that uh, I guess a certain point, some people, because whether it's because of their genetics, their metabolism, their blood flow, they can their brain can hold its breath because it's blocked. For a period of time, where some people are really wimpy, you yeah. know, and can't but the stopwatch is still going. It's just oh yeah, like the stopwatch right. is always going. Yeah, that's right. And you assume you assume time is brain. You assume everybody is going to progress. 
but we found that it's not the same time for everybody and that everybody's worth a look a little bit deeper. Well, what's cool about that is that that really does give more hope to the situation, yeah, right? Because I think, yeah, you know, again, right. I think that the, you know, time right? is brain, right? Five yeah. minutes, you're gone, it's done. Right. And, uh, but now we we're expanding that window of hope, you know, yeah. on a multitude of levels. Yeah, so how, what can we do about it? So what, you know, what's... Well, there's, so there's a lot of things you can do about it. Uh, it all depends on um, how severe the symptoms are and, uh, you know, what the time window is. So, you know, one of the, the biggest revolutions in stroke was, came in the late 90s, which was a clot buster called TPA. And uh, we found that uh, if we give TPA within three hours of the onset of symptoms, the majority of patients, about 30 out of 100, mm -hmm. would get better from their stroke um, after a few days. Um, so that busts the clot inside the yeah. vessel, so then the blood flow resumes, is that the idea? Exactly. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so TPA was really the first just big game-changing stroke treatment. Mm -hmm. We've been using it for almost 30 years now, I guess 2025. And, um, and uh, it's really been our mainstay of stroke. And what's been exciting about TPA is that as the last 20 years have progressed, we found that the window wasn't just three hours. We found that certain mm -hmm. patients we extended out to four and a half hours. And now uh, we're even looking at extending it out to uh, nine hours and, and even looking at extending it out to 24 hours in mm -hmm. certain wow. patients. Uh, you know, based on getting the right images to prove that their brain's actually still hanging on and um, and they're worth still trying to bust up the clot with medicine. Oh, yeah, wow. TPA is not for everyone, isn't that no. right? Like, yeah, uh, TPA is not for everyone. It is a very powerful blood clot or clot buster. Uh, can definitely induce bleeding anywhere in the body. It's probably mm -hmm. the most powerful blood thinner uh, in medicine uh, that we have. Um, so. Um, certainly, if you've had a recent surgery, if you're already taking another blood thinner, um, or you have uh, you know certain bad medical problems, uh, TPA is actually dangerous for you, and mm -hmm. the chance of it causing you know a hemorrhage somewhere in mm -hmm. your body, uh, you know whether it's your your gut or your brain, is just too great, and it's really not worth uh, what it might do for your stroke because it's going to cause another devastating event. Right. So, I see. Right, right. But if you can, if you one of these people that's eligible for it, yeah. then it's not five minutes anymore. You got exactly. maybe. I mean, fast as possible is still better, but you still have yeah. several hours. So three hours for anybody out of the yeah. box, as long as you haven't had a recent surgery or one of these, uh, you know, other uh, <clears throat> things that keep you from getting TPA. And then uh, certain patients go out to four and a half hours and now out to nine, and we're even starting to do research on out to 24 hours. Wow. And I think, you know, kind of one of the take-homes for me when I think about this, actually there's two of them. One is if you have a sudden event mm -hmm. where something's changed with you, that means you need to see a doctor exactly. or go to an emergency room yeah. right now. And that's, right? Because that's a really important point because yeah. uh, if you look at statistics that uh, the CDC gathers on stroke and whatnot, um, they actually found that uh, you know, in a big survey and, uh, a few years ago that um, out of all the people who came who, who had a stroke, mm -hmm. only 38% of people actually knew something was bad enough wrong with them that they should actually seek medical attention. So there's a huge opportunity for right. people to understand that you have a sudden event, an arm's not working, I can't talk, my speech is slurred, I've suddenly gone like, don't blind Don't sleep at off. Or don't don't like, sleep it off. You, know, you like, need to go immediately to the hospital right. and get evaluated. That's yeah, probably yeah, that's a really stroke, important. and there's yeah. probably something we can do about it. Right, and I think the second point that I was thinking about is that, and I think this is going to get to talk about some of the other stuff, is mm -hmm. that TPA is for some people, not for others. Yeah. Right, there's right. a number of different things that are emerging yeah. that uh, can really have an impact. I mean, obviously, you do a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, aside from medicine, uh, the most exciting thing I think that's happened in, you know, cerebrovascular disease and 
the last really hundred years is thrombectomy for stroke. Okay, so, so yeah, what, what, what does that yeah. mean? Exactly. So, right, right. so that means rather than assuming a medicine is going to bust up this clot and, mm -hmm. uh, and get the vessel uh, flowing with blood again, we're, we're not going to rely on the medicine. We're actually going to go up through the arteries of the body. Uh, we usually use the, uh, the leg artery, which is a big artery you feel at mm -hmm. your uh, groin crease. And uh, we can actually take tools inside the artery all the way through the body up into the brain and we actually have devices that grab onto that clot and remove it from the blood vessel uh, oh, instead of uh, relying on a medicine to break it up so, so it's really a roto-rooter yeah, yeah, right? yeah, roto yeah, exactly okay and it's minimally, minimally invasive the minimally invasive yeah okay so gotcha. just through a, a small needle poke into a blood vessel so it's amazing and so i guess and that's more recent right you know yeah. people have been working on it for years but i think it's really come come to its own and really i guess how many yeah, years so well i mean i mean honestly if you if you look at the medical literature the first time people had this concept was as early as 1958 oh well and, maybe not so <laughs> yeah right exactly but, but for it to be actually practical and and, and have stuff successful. that work yeah um i would say the first devices really came to market around 2006 2007 we uh -huh. didn't have great success mainly because patient selection was was not right and the devices weren't as good mm -hmm. and then um, there's a lot of hope uh, you know from 2010 2012 2013 uh, that the next generation of devices is really going to be the game changer and we still found that those weren't working as well oh, as we wow. thought but all of us who were doing stroke treatments knew that we always had these patients who were having a severe stroke we got a clot out and they were instantly better as soon as the clot was out I see. Um, and so we knew that you know, this was gonna work. We just had to get the devices right and the patients right. And uh, everything was sort of, came back to the table. And, uh, you know, in 2015, um, there were five just large landmark studies that showed that this treatment was just revolutionary and uh, that without a doubt it worked and that it made patients with severe strokes better. Um, you know, for That's, the most part, pretty instantaneous. You know what I think is really cool about this is the four years ago. Wow. Yeah, the persistence. You know, for instance, it really it's all about fighting the good fight. Yeah. In I the agree. sense that you know, really that you know, doggedness. You yeah. Doggedness. You failed once. You know, it, it didn't go so well. You know, you didn't you didn't get it quite right. Again, even the second round of technologies didn't quite make it. You know, it didn't achieve. But yeah. there's this persistence. You know, and vision to say, hey, look, you know, this, we can get this to work. And finally, years make, later. I mean, yeah, honestly, yeah. finally making it happen. Said, yeah. that's, I mean, I, and I think that speaks well of kind of, you know, kind of our system and our, our scientific endeavor for yeah. kind of really getting, oh, yeah. getting past a hard problem. Stroke is obviously a hard problem. Uh, obviously, yeah. So uh, tell me more about it. When you have to do this thrombectomy, you know, is it like- uh, So, I mean, again, time is brain. Clock removal, yeah. right? Time is brain, so you want to do it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, it's important to know that there's a huge variety of strokes. Uh, some people have very minor strokes. Some people have really severe strokes. So this is really for the, the more moderate to severe strokes. Um, okay, bigger ones, okay. And we're, we're looking for some of the larger blood vessels in the brain, so we call it a large vessel occlusion. Um, but these are the strokes that if they're left untreated um, are gonna be much more devastating to the patient and uh, are also the ones that the, the medicine, the TPA is not nearly as effective for. Uh, I see. Um, so really, too big. Com, yeah, it's yeah. really complimentary. So, so it's probably out of all the strokes, it's probably somewhere between 20 and 30% of all comers with strokes are eligible for this treatment. It's a lot. Um, but um, you know, these are also the ones that are gonna have the really bad strokes. So uh, these are the ones I think we, we had the most uh, to benefit from. So. Right. People like paralyze on one yeah. side of the body or something mm -hmm. like that. Really so we found that you know if we put everybody sort of in the same pool, that um, 
anybody who's within six hours of their symptoms is worth treating and they're probably going to get better. Probably at least uh, two out of every three patients are going to get significantly better with the treatment hmm. um, if we treat them within six hours. So, six hours, okay. Um, okay. And that doesn't matter uh, who you are, if you're a fast progressor or a slow progressor, we don't even discriminate. We just assume that everybody under six hours has a really good chance of getting better. I see. Um, after six hours, uh, we've got to do some special imaging um, called perfusion imaging, mm -hmm. and we look at how much of the stroke has already taken hold of the brain. Um, and uh, we found a lot of patients, uh, they, they don't have good perfusion, but the brain isn't dead yet. I see. And, uh, right. so, so again, maybe just to say, yeah. yeah, right, right. So basically perfusion means like there's still, it's, oh, the yeah. brain's not working, but the blood's yeah, still but flowing. The blood's still flowing. flowing yeah. Yeah. Right. It's and still getting there and through alternative pathways, but those little alternative pathways are just not strong enough to make the brain hold on forever. Right. So, just like right. hanging on the cliff. Exactly. Literally right. fingers, fingers on the edge of the yeah. cliff. That's okay. right. Yeah. Okay. So our goal is to, you know, get to the patient before they fall off the cliff. Right. And, um, and so uh, we found that with this special imaging um, that we can, we can intervene up to 24 hours now. Oh, wow. That's a long time. So, all right. Pulling you over the edge. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So that's the, um, that's the artery block side of things, yeah. right? right? So I know you mentioned the other side, you know, if the artery busts open like a, like a bomb. So what kind of things cause that? Well, there's a lot of things. So um, some people have this high blood pressure that the, the pressure in the blood vessels overwhelms the vessels and literally a vessel just explodes and ruptures uh, and that will cause bleeding in the brain and sort of literally a, a blood clot will form in the brain. Um, some people have uh, blood vessel problems like an aneurysm. That's, uh, that's when you have sort of a weakening of the blood vessel wall and it sort of forms a blister. And if you can imagine just having a blister on your skin, uh, eventually that blister can pop right, right. and uh, that can cause bleeding on the undersurface of the brain. We call that subarachnoid hemorrhage is the technical term for it. And that's when an aneurysm bleeds. That's a form of a stroke. Mm -hmm. um, you know what, I'm, it just is a very crude analogy here. Yeah. You know, like I remember my basement flooded, right? You know, and oh, it, yeah. it actually flooded twice for two very different reasons. One, mm -hmm. uh, basically kind of the, uh, uh, the, it was a really bad rain once and basically the, the sewage system backed up right that's the equivalent of hypertension right like the pressure was yeah. too high and then blood you know went into yeah, my yeah. Uh, basement and another time basically a pipe burst right you oh, know yeah. and basically the the, the pipe it's a weak pipe it was like a weak aneurysm. pipe right exactly yeah. like an aneurysm yeah that's that's a great analogy yeah yeah so uh so then we have hyper we have high blood pressure we have aneurysms which are like this balloon thing you're talking about anything else i can cause that uh sure i mean uh there can be all sorts of blood vessel problems something called an arterial venous malformation which is sort of a almost like having a birthmark on your brain that you're born with. Um, those are prone to bleed. Um, you can have, um, you know, various uh, uh, forms of just uh, uh, these uh, deposits in your brain that we call amyloid angiopathy. Um, and that's sort of uh, related to Alzheimer's disease. I was just about to say, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. So I see, I see. So people who have Alzheimer's can also have yeah. these. They get these sort of, bursts. yeah, these plaques that develop in their brain and that weakens the blood vessels and can cause you to sort of spontaneously have a, a brain hemorrhage. So. Oh, wow, I see. So can we do anything about these? Sure. Um, so there's a whole slew of treatments for aneurysms um, and uh, we can do anything from mm -hmm. operate on them and uh, we place little metal clips across the base of the aneurysm and pinch them shut. Uh, we've been doing that since the 1950s and, and uh, still do it a lot today. And then more excitingly are the uh, inside the blood vessel treatments, the minimally invasive treatments with 
all sorts of uh, little metal coils that block off the aneurysm. Sometimes we put stents in that divert so let's, blood flow. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit more about yeah. that because I think that's it's almost hard to imagine. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, like, yeah, no, you're like, right. Okay, so we've got this. So we've got this blister, right, on yeah, a let's blood say, vessel. Yeah. Let's say these are let, these are vessels, and you got this blister yeah. in the middle, like the balloon blister, in the middle. right? Yeah. And so one is you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. And so basically, one is you can put a clip across yeah. it, right, on the outside like of it, literally going on the outside, yeah. pinching it off, right pinching the blister off. But then yeah. talk a little bit more. Yeah, now you can go how inside the, other the vessel. Yeah. How do you fix the inside of a vessel wall? So sure, so so just like the strokes where we snake our way up through all the blood vessels of the body, we do that for aneurysms. Uh -huh. And instead of taking out a blood clot, here the uh, idea is to actually induce a blood clot in the aneurysm only. And so uh, we kind of park a tiny little catheter, which is just this thin tube. It's about the size of a piece of angel hair pasta. Uh -huh. And uh, we can actually guide that all the way through the body up into the brain and put it just right at the uh, entry part of the of this little blister. It's a long piece of pasta. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> right, right. I mean, they, these are this long. So, um, and then through that, we just uh, deploy these little metal coils, which are these strands of platinum, and we uh, pack enough of them in the aneurysm that it blocks it off. I so basically, so, right, I good, good. So like basically the inside of the aneurysm is yeah. clotted off. That's like, right, exactly. so whereas it clots, it, I mean, it's actually kind of a very interesting thing. So there's times that you do not want to clot in the yeah. blood vessel, right? Because that's going to cause the stroke that causes right. loss of blood flow. Right. But there's times when, again, when the pipes burst, you know, yeah. because you've got a blister, you actually want a very specific, essentially well-controlled yeah. clot exactly. to form on the inside of this vessel right, right. so that it basically doesn't burst anymore. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, I see. So what, I mean... When do you do the outside method versus the inside out method? Well, aneurysms come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and uh, no two are alike. And uh, there are times when, um, you know, we obviously like to use the minimally invasive method because the patient doesn't get a big surgery, but um, sometimes that's not the safest thing to do because we can't be precise enough with it. And, uh, you know, when we're doing uh, the, the open brain surgery and the, the clipping, um, we, we really have the, the maximum amount of versatility. Um, and we can precisely place these clips so that uh, it just really takes care of the aneurysm and doesn't occlude a normal blood vessel um, because you don't want to pinch off a normal blood vessel with the clip and, and you don't want to block off a normal blood vessel with the coils because that will obviously cause a stroke. Um, so, you know, the clips provide the maximal uh, versatility, but they also provide the... Uh, the maximum amount of invasiveness and the biggest right. procedure for the yeah, patient. Yeah. So you so have to a, cut, make a yeah. decision to scalp a hole in the skull yeah. and really go into the exactly. folds of the brain. So, so uh, it comes at a price. Uh, whereas the, the minimally invasive treatment from the inside of the blood vessel, uh, you know, with the technology a day, we can probably treat 90% of aneurysms that way. I see, um, not all of them though. But not all of them. And, um, and so we, we try to do it when we can. Um, you know, certainly uh, if an aneurysm is bled and it's ruptured and, mm -hmm. and the brain's in sort of a, a swollen state because of the bleeding, uh, we found that uh, patients don't like to have their heads opened up in that state. And, uh, right, right. And uh, really they do. Don't touch yeah. the angry brain. Right, right. right. Yeah. Well, it's really... kind of like if you had, you know, if you had a bruise on your arm or if you really injured yourself, anytime you had to touch or manipulate it more, it hurts yeah, and it's yeah. more, more susceptible to injury. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, it's interesting. So it depends on the person and the, the aneurysm then if you use the... Uh, the, the coils from inside the vessel or the clips from outside the vessel, huh? I see. So, I no, it's interesting because in a lot of other things that we do, right, maximally safe is not necessarily minimally invasive 
Right. Sometimes maximally right. safe is maximally invasive. Exactly. Right? It's right. just what you need. It's this careful balance, and this is where right. I think uh, again, you know, computers won't replace us just yet right. because uh, we really need to create this fine judgment of oh, you yeah. know what is the optimal strategy for a given individual for a given problem that they have. Interesting. Interesting. But you know, every couple of years, the, uh, the devices progress further, and uh, there's more aneurysm shapes that we can fix from the inside, and um, and uh, you know, the the technology is exciting. It's it's always evolving. Mm. I, any robots or things like that being used for any of these things? Well, well we use are, robots. Yeah, yeah. things yeah. are things are actually in development for uh, robotic uh, inside the blood vessel techniques. Um, oh. Wow. And uh, it's it's actually made a lot of progress in interventional cardiology for for heart procedures. Huh. Um, and you know, in India, uh, there's actually a robotic company that's uh, that's found that a that a doctor 30 miles away from the patient can control all the devices that go in the patient with a robot and do heart stents and you know uh, open up people who are having uh, you know acute heart attacks. Well, I th it seems like that type of technology really expands the scale oh, of yeah. which you can kind of, you know, essentially touch people, right? Yeah. Meaning that, like, again, there's people in communities, we, we were talking about time is brain, yeah, yeah. Uh, that if you're, you know, 100 miles out, 200 miles out in a small Missouri town. Rural Missouri or something right, like that, and, where uh, you don't have Dr. Yeah. Osmond there. And right, exactly. The, and and that's like, the how do you get to them? How do they get to you? Is, you know, with time is brain, and, you know, it's, if you look at all the metrics in the United States uh, in terms of, uh, how many people are within, you know, an hour of um, of getting to a, a hospital that can that can treat a stroke? It's it's really almost 75, 80 percent of the population, but the the distribution is terrible because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know a lot of our uh, population in the U.S. is along the uh, coast, on the west coast, and the east coast, and the south coast, and so that all has just this plethora of centers that can take care of this, but. If you look at the the middle of the country, uh, yeah. where there's a lot more vast areas of land and uh -huh, uh -huh. and travel to a big center that can do this, uh, we've got a really bad distribution of uh, hospitals, and a lot of patients just really just don't have access to that kind of care. So anything that can you oh, know extend the doctors uh, that have expertise in this, like extend their reach, yeah, you know, right. like a robot that's you know well positioned somewhere that somebody that's else can control. I mean. I think the future is really bright for you know having more patients in our country have access to this kind of treatment. Although That's I think cool. one of a take home point for the here and now is that not all hospitals are created equal, right? right. You know, like exactly. so you, you know, so you really got to go to the right yeah, place. Yeah, I mean, even forgetting about robots, I mean, exactly. you're not going to have exactly. the things you can do everywhere, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And so you you have to be a little bit judicious to think that not all hospitals are the same in treating stroke, and right. so you got to go to the right place right away. So I guess, uh, and all the really. I mean, really amazing emerging technologies uh, when people come in with a stroke. So I guess, right. how are they doing? So a lot of patients, uh, you know, within minutes or a few hours after us finishing our procedures will get instantly better and reverse all their symptoms and it's, it's, it's really amazing and miraculous. Uh, unfortunately, that's not everybody. Mm -hmm. um, we found that um, on the whole within about three months, 90 days or so after uh, one of these procedures that um, the majority of patients will get back to uh, living independently and, um, oh, and being able amazing. to you know, mm -hmm. take care of all their own needs and uh, you know, be fairly mobile mm -hmm. and walking around and you know, able to run all their own errands and hopefully return to work. Um, but then there's still definitely some patients, uh, you know, you know, probably the, uh, about a third of them that they end up having some sort of uh, disability after a, a major stroke like this. And 
you know, they, uh, they can get a lot better uh, over many months uh, by doing intensive rehabilitation. Yeah. And, um, but it takes a lot of work and, um, and some of them are left with really, you know, permanent deficits that really affect their, their lives every day, so. So you think about, what do you think, like in about a year, it's settled out and yeah. it's sort of what they can get out yeah, of Yeah, a year, 18 months, we think, and... we think they have their kind of, their maximum benefit from rehab and they're, they're really as good as they're gonna get, so. Huh. But I'm, but people like, like yourself that right. are working on things beyond that year, right? There's I mean, still this reason is... for hope, yeah. And I think right. that's the cool thing is that there's still a continuum of hope here because right, right. Uh, certainly in my laboratory, we're working with uh, technology to see if we can rewire and recover the brain long after the injury has settled down. Yeah. And it's yeah. this idea of what we call brain-computer interface, mm -hmm. this right. idea where you basically take signals from the brain, essentially capture the patient's thoughts, and allow them to control something and see if in the process of doing that you can rewire the brain. Say so use the, the force or something. Well, not, not quite something the force, like no. Yeah. Well, so the, I mean, just as I think we've seen really kind of a, a, an amazing progression of technology and technical capability in the treatment of acute stroke, you know, these through the vessel technologies, we're also seeing a real renaissance of how we can use computers to decode signals from the brain. I see. And this idea of, um, as an example, if you have a stroke patient, even in the chronic mm -hmm. stage, mm -hmm. and they can't move their hand, for instance. Right, so now we're a year out from, we're a year out. Dr. Right. Oz has been doing everything he can. That's right. Things are settled out, they still have a disability. That's yeah. right, and so, but they, and now, uh, and one of the most common uh, uh, persistent deficits after a stroke is that they have a paralyzed hand. Right, oh yeah. And uh, now, they may not be able to move their hand, but they can still imagine moving their hand. Right. They can still think about moving their mm -hmm. hand. They can still try to move, they just can't actually do it. And so where are those thoughts coming from? And so we're starting to really explore and understand the ideas of where those thoughts are coming from. So part of it is they're coming from kind of one side of the brain that controls that paralyzed uh, limb, which is damage, but the, right. there's actually uh, uh, signals and physiology associated with thoughts to control yeah. that paralyzed hand on the uninjured side of the brain. Oh, that's different from what we learned in med school. Exactly, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now, but, and we can tap into that. And we, again, we don't have to put, you know, we don't have to, it doesn't require surgery, but you can put electrodes on the scalp, record brain signals. And again, with computers and essentially new computer algorithms, you can pick up those signals and decode that a person wants to control their paralyzed hand with their uninjured side of their brain. I see. And the reason that that's important now. That's cool. It is cool because now what we can do is we can allow them to control things. and. We're starting to use um, systems where basically people are wearing a headset, they're wearing an external robotic, and, um, and they're controlling their paralyzed hand with this wearable robotic. Mm -hmm. And in the process, when they continue to do that over time, it's almost like a new form of rehabilitation yeah. for chronic stroke they're gaining function back. And that's one of the things we published a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. I mean, do they have to keep wearing the thing? Or well, the, so the, they wear the it for robotic? a few, no, they wear it for a few months. And then after a few months, after continued usage, then they start to, uh, they actually gain that function back themselves. Essentially, the uninjured side of the brain is taking over control of the paralyzed hand. I see, I see, without the robotic. Without the robot, that's, that's right. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that probably would apply to any one of your yeah. patients, for instance, you know, in the long term who have chronic problems, whether it's the, you know, whether it's the loss of blood flow to brain and you have some injury, right. that's what you're talking yeah. about. But it could also apply to people who have like blood clots or something like oh, that. Yeah, yeah basically, if, it's, if, that, if one part of the brain's not working, you know, that we can tr start to use these type of brain-computer interface systems. When you talk about this, I always think of one of my favorite movies when I was growing up, which is the Star Wars series. And, and 
the and Luke, how, Luke Skywalker Luke, Luke hand. gets his prosthetic hand after he loses it back. We're just and, a little shy of that, yeah, right? You know, yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, 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 that's the first step. But, but we may see it in our lifetime, we never know. So. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I, and I think this, is, this really is kind of, uh, um, these are the first emerging technologies of how we can tap into the power of the brain Right. to essentially kind of change our, our brains and our bodies for the better. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this stuff come down oh, the pike. Cool. You know, Eric, like you're talking about all your brain-computer interface research. I know you're uh, very excited about it. And uh, it's been not, not just a scientific outlet for you, but also a creative outlet for you. And aren't you sort of designing a play around all of this right well, now? Well, not just me. It's yeah. Albert myself. Yeah. Like in addition to kind of our, <laughs> our, our, our filmed you know, coffee conversations, you know, we've we uh, we are uh, we wrote uh, our first play back in 2016. Is that right? 2014. That's okay. So we <laughs> well it, 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 you know, So you're right. Uh, so you're absolutely right. So in in, um, in addition to uh, brain computer interfaces have been a you know long inspiration. Whether it be kind of I've actually written a couple novels, yeah. but Albert and I have been working yeah. on plays actually for many years now. We, our, years, yeah. our first play was in 2014, that was Brainworks, mm -hmm. and now we have another installment of Brainworks coming out. And, uh, it's coming out this summer, July that's right. 2019. That's right, and again, it's a yeah. you know, three-year work in progress. Right. Uh, and we do talk about brain-computer interfaces That's right. It's, and, it's, and stroke like you've been talking about. No. And it really is a multitude of clinical stories mm -hmm. where I think, you know, it's, it's, I think one of the things that's so important is that uh, when we do talk about technology, you know, in addition to kind of the conversations that we're having now, yeah. you know, I think people need to engage with them. And, and we do have a story that has really been inspired by one of our patients about how he recovered using a brain-computer interface after stroke. Right, right. That's amazing. Yeah. Should be fun. It'll be fun, yeah. <laughs> it's deeply uncomfortable getting ready for it, of course. That's right. We talked yeah. about the cognitive marathon, like where it is quite literally <laughs> easier to do neurosurgery than to prepare for a play. Yeah, yeah, like memorizing that. lines, all this stuff. And, and yeah. knowing your position, it, it, but uh, it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah. So funny, I always laugh when people say that things are not brain surgery, because I think there's a lot of things in life that are way harder than brain surgery. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's a hidden secret. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> we'll delete that out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, exactly. Brain surgery is very hard.